What's up, everybody? Today on the podcast, we have a special episode for you. I am Turner, and I'm in the studio with Rosie. What's up, Rosie? Hey, what's up, man? If we had a two-week-old pregnancy, because we were in week two, right? if you listened to our last podcast, you know that we had our first week, you still would not know that you're pregnant. Exactly. Uh, but capillaries are growing, veins are growing, hearts developing. In the baby. In the baby. That's right. And uh, so there's still a couple more weeks before you find out that you're actually pregnant. So, um, yeah, so that's... You got to miss your period first. <laughs> you got to miss your period. <laughs> to make you look. <laughs> to make you look. You might feel a little upset stomach here and there, you know, a little morning sickness. But the uh, be assured that it, that is a life. Yes. And that is a baby. That's right. It doesn't, it's not accident, it's not a parasite, it's not an organism, it is a living being. Human, human being. Human being, yeah. So anyways, that's week two, yep. as we move on into our in our uh, little baby that we're making. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what to call it. Our baby. Uh, a baby. Our clump of cells. Clump of cells. Oh, great, yeah. Oh, man. So, uh, do you know anything? Yeah, hey, so, uh, <laughs> so Jet Lee, Jet Lee, the uh, martial artist? Yeah. So check this out. According to Lee, once as a child, when the Chinese National Wushu team, which is a uh, uh, martial arts, okay, when their team went to perform for President R Richard Nixon in the United States, he was asked by Nixon to be his personal bodyguard. Whoa, Jet Lee was? Yeah, dude. As a kid, as a child, yeah, as a I see. kid. Yeah. Lee replied, "I don't want to protect any individual. When I grow up, I want to defend my one billion Chinese." countrymen well that's what he had to say because he's chinese and he would get killed if he didn't yeah. like, wasn't loyal to but it's cool man the he big red to... star richard nixon asked Jet Li <laughs> when Jet Li was a kid to become his personal bodyguard that's pretty cool that's pretty cool i wonder if he meant it or if he was just being like the thing he yeah yeah Jet Li. i didn't know he was that old that's crazy yeah yeah he's, he's older than me that's cool yeah uh well, let me see yeah. how old he is he is 54 he's born 63 Wow, okay, yeah. yeah. So he's older than me. That's cool, man. So, what the? Oh, baby. Our listeners know what that means, don't they? I hope so. That's just sweet. It is pretty cool. <laughs> oh, I'm cringing so hard. <laughs> that could only mean one thing, Rosie. That means we are having a guest. That's right. On the podcast via phone, which is why that is the... the <laughs> break, I don't know what to call it. They're that not in studio. Up, yeah, they're on the phone. That's, That's our... a ringtone... Uh, mashup uh, remix that's what i was thinking yeah the ringtone remix yeah so we're gonna have uh my buddy jack buckby he is uh british <laughs> he is a <laughs> british uh journalist activist all-around great guy yeah uh, he works for poland daily which is a american polish news agency he's got a show on them uh with them so, uh, really good episode. It's going to yeah. be a good interview. It's, it's awesome. It's going to, uh, yeah, hopefully it'll bring a perspective and talk about things that, uh, t talking to mostly Americans, 
when I'm saying this right now, the American audience yeah. listening, that uh, you may not know about. Talk about Brexit. Uh, talk about British politics in general. And, uh, of course, all sorts of great stuff. So, uh, there you go. Yeah. All it's right. Great dude. Well. A great lad. He is. He's, he's a... <laughs> it, was, it was really fun talking with him. UK patriot. We'll say that. Yes. So, uh... Even though we're supposed to not like UK patriots because... Right. We fought a war against them. Right. But... We did. <laughs> they're, they're we're good. not... They're not sore losers. No. They're not. But we'll boast. They're doing okay. <laughs> we like to bring it up every time. <laughs> Remember that one time in 1776 <laughs> when we beat you? When we beat you. <laughs> we the can... most powerful nation. <laughs> <That's> no. <laughs> oh, man. But there are uh, good patriots, solid conservatives That's uh, right. across the pond, and he is definitely one of them. So, yeah. We're partners in ideology with that, man. We are Western civilization, Judeo-Christian values. <laughs> That's right. The West is the best, and they are part of the West. Amen. They preach it. the father of the West. That's right. So there you go. So uh, it's going to be a great podcast. So sit back, grab a coffee, and enjoy. You're listening to the All Out War Podcast. Well, hello, Warriors. Welcome to another episode of All Out War. We have on the phone straight from Europe, from England... Our new friend, Jack Buckby. Jack is the author of a brand new book called Architects of Betrayal, How Parliament Tried to Thwart Brexit from Checkers to the Meaningful Vote. Uh, he is a, a p- p- political activist, an author, a former formal political campaign manager and a candidate. He spent almost a decade in the political spotlight campaigning against ex- Islamic extremists, mass immigration, and voicing the opinion of normal people on the national stage. And now Jack writes books and reports on Westminster, on Westminster Brexit, and British politics from London. Jack, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Hi, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. We are so honored that you're here, and we appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us here on the podcast uh, I found out Thank from you. I found out from you through about you through my co-host here Rosie. He's he's followed you on Twitter. By the way, you can check out Jack on Twitter at, at Jack Buckby on Twitter, and uh, he's got a, a great Twitter. Uh, you should you should follow him if you're not following him if you want to get some cool insights and information. But I found out about you through through Rosie here. And he forwarded me a YouTube that you had put up about a personal situation of you not being able to get back into the United States after you had spent time here. And it was just yeah. puzzling about all of that. Can you fill us in a little bit about like the background and how that all came yeah, about? That's crazy. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a video I never wanted to do, but I just got to the point where I just felt compelled to do it because nothing was happening. So. I'm a British citizen, and I've been coming to the U.S. back and forth for years. I used to come for CPAC every year, um, you know, the Republican Conference. Uh, I'd come for meetings. I know lots of different political people in the U.S. So I'd be over once or twice a year um, between, I don't know, 2012, 20, actually maybe from 2010 till 2016. I was coming over regularly. Um, never broke any visa conditions or anything like that. Um, and then suddenly at the end of 2016, um, after my last visit, America, which was uh, election night in 2016, mm. um, I found myself with my ESTA, which is the visa waiver system that Brits use to come to America, um, was cancelled. Um, at the time, I was engaged to a US citizen, we're married now, um, and we 
we, we didn't know what, what on earth was going on. So I applied for a tourist visa. That was cancelled. I applied for a journalist visa. That that was, you know, for, uh, not back as well. Well, the, the interesting thing is they weren't immediately knocked back. What happened was they were put into something called administrative processing, um, which meant that I didn't have an answer. You know, it, it was effectively a no, but I was still waiting for a yes or a no, meaning I couldn't go to America for years. But what was weird is at the end of 2016, beginning of 2017, um, a false tip to the FBI was submitted about me, claiming that I was a terrorist planning to come to the United States. What? Um, and that I was involved in a green card marriage scam. And that seems to be the root of the problem. The person um, who did it, uh, we, we know who did it because she did a video talking about how I was under investigation by the FBI before I admitted to anybody what was happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, I was cleared by the FBI because I assure you, my friends, I'm not a terrorist. Right. Um, <laughs> and um, no, what it turns out, it was a far left activist who really hated me. They submitted this false tip. Interestingly, nothing was done um, in terms of punishment for that person submitting false information to the authorities. I don't know why. Of course not. Um, but I've been unable to enter the United States. I've not had answers for years. It took me suing the U.S. government to find out why. Um, and now I know it's because of that false tip claiming not that I was a terrorist. The issue was they claimed I was involved in a green card marriage scam, which was a lie. Hmm. Um, so now I've been, I've been unable for years because of this. Um, malicious, malicious lie by a left-wing activist. I've been unable to travel to the U.S. I've been unable to see my sister-in-law who was suffering with leukemia. Um, And it's just been really quite horrible. It just shows what the left will do to destroy your life if they don't like your politics. Wow. Wow. Well, speaking of... (laughs) You're kind of like a unicorn in England, aren't you? Because you're conservative and thinking correctly and all of that, right? Um... There's more of us than people think. It's just people are very scared about changing the way they vote because the way of our electoral system works. They feel like changing their vote doesn't really do anything. Um, and also, we're so so demonized in the UK that people are terrified to speak up. That's why Brexit was such an interesting vote because nobody thought it would happen. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly, we called it the shy Brexit vote, the shy Brexit supporters. They'll never ever admit that they supported Brexit, but they do in the uh, in the privacy of the ballot booth. It's kind um, of it's so kind no, of, actually, there's more of us than you think. Yeah, I was going to say it's, it was like the same thing as uh, like all the polling for when Trump won because everyone was super surprised you know in the 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 media and everything like how could this guy just you know we we predicted that he wouldn't ever vote he you know the polling numbers blah 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 and it turns out you know if you talk to your neighbors and stuff like that people you know they don't want to first of all no one wants to talk to pollsters because no one trusts pollsters um there's probably a lot of people um who just intentionally tell like i i think i've gotten pulled once or twice and I just completely make up stuff just to skew their numbers <laughs> because I hate them and uh, <laughs> I don't care about anything that has to happen but yeah it was the same thing and then all of a sudden everyone's surprised but you know if you talk to the normal people they're like Trump you know for whatever you thought about candidate Trump anyone listening or whatever like uh, a lot of people voted for him and a lot of people probably didn't admit that you know openly and stuff so well consider the alter. <laughs> right yeah i mean but they, they know what happens to them if they do mis- admit it publicly like in the exactly. uk as well as in the us you know you you risk losing your job you risk losing friends you risk losing family you become alienated 
And it's a very lonely life being alienated over politics and people don't mm. want to lose you know, a nor- you know, normality in their lives. Yeah. So where, where do you stand right now in terms of being able to come back into the States? Uh, I can't. Um, I'm married. So, you know, we're going to, uh, um, hope, you know, hopefully I'll be accepted as an immigrant, but we'll see. Um, I, I, it's been the, the bureaucracy mm-hmm. is so bad. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's such a nightmare. I mean, the fact that I had to wait for, um, well, you meant to, it's meant to take 60 days for administrative processing for a visa to take place, maximum 60 days. It took two years for me. And the only reason it ended after two years is because I sued the government to make them decide. So that's, that's the level of bureaucracy I'm dealing with here. Something that should have taken two months took two years. Wow. And I got no answers until I sued them. So well, I don't know. Maybe I'll have to sue again. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. Well, if well, you want to come in, you should just... I, the, the best route is via the southern, western route. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone tells me that. <laughs> Either that or hop in through the forest in Canada. There you um, go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's just... That's so... It's just so crazy. Yeah. And I was going to say, uh, you were telling me and you said in the video that you even had uh, like some senators and congressmen like ask on your behalf and they still just didn't do anything. Yep. Yeah. Nothing happened. Congress. I didn't I didn't want to admit this publicly, but I, I kind of released it by accident already. So I might as well say, I mean, Steve <laughs> King, uh, Representative Steve King helped me. Hmm. Uh, the office of not Lee Zeldin himself, but the office of Lee Zeldin helped um, a member of European Parliament contacted the US government on my behalf that was ignored um, just everything that we did was just completely ignored again it's just pure bureaucracy it's yeah. ridiculous the, the system is so broken and I'm, I'm sorry if it sounds um, you know crudely simplified but here I am a Westerner um, a, a law abider a taxpayer trying to come to the United States with my missus um, meanwhile, I don't know, Consuelo from over the border can come over and flip burgers and it's no problem at all. Exactly. Right. No, that's... I mean, it, it drives me mad. The system, like, it's the same in the UK. The priorities are completely screwed up. Yeah. I, I mean, there's such well said. Yeah. It's just, it's absolutely insane. Someone else I was talking with, yeah, they're just, they're Canadian and they're saying, yeah, you know, I love America. I love the values of what, you know, I mean, the, you valued the same just because we've been talking like we have the same values you just come you know we're <laughs> i mean we're in the five eyes you know like we share intelligence with each other you would think that this wouldn't be yeah something like it, you're you know <laughs> it's just so ridiculous man <laughs> yeah it is it's, it's it's a shame yeah so you're married and you is your is your bride uh uk or american or what's well she she's a u.s citizen so okay. but there lies the issue Um, and so I've been unable to see most of her family, um, uh, including her sister who's, um, well, her her family came from Croatia, you see, so her sister's from Yugoslavia, Mm -hmm. um, and of course Yugoslavia doesn't exist anymore, so she's literally a citizen of nowhere, um, because she's not a US citizen, she's a resident but not a citizen, so she can't leave the country to come and see me, Mm -hmm. uh, and I can't come to America to go and see her. (laughs) Right. It's just been absolute chaos, I can't even you know, go over to Canada and meet them at Niagara Falls on the border or something because she can't leave the country. So the, oh, the whole thing's been, like, I'm laughing now, but it's been such a nightmare. Yeah, I can only imagine, man. That's wow. so much. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll, we'll be hoping that this thing gets squared away soon so that you can have some freedom. It is. I mean, 
I'm I'm hoping an, another year, and I'm I'm hoping it'll be resolved. But let's see. Eh? Gosh, you're more patient than I am. Another year, good night. <laughs> so you wrote a book, and uh, it's called Architects of Betrayal, and it's all about Brexit. I guess uh, can you share with us a little bit about that book and what what's going on with that? Yeah, sure. So um, I I started writing this book in July of last year. Um, basically. We voted to leave the European Union in July 2016, and here we are in uh, April 2019, and we still haven't left. Um, it's three years on. And so I was walking um, in the street last year, and I was listening to the news on my headphones, as I always do, and the chaos on the news every single day. You know, I forget what it's like to listen to the news and hear multiple stories every day because you turn on the news now and it's just Brexit, 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 blah, 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 blah. And it's, it drives you insane. And I just thought I've never known such a, um, a crazy time in politics. All these weird things happening every day, all these betrayals made by politicians every single day. And in years to come, we're going to forget all of what happened. Mm. You know, it's not just this grand, you know, the politicians didn't just come together one day and decide, right, we're not going to deliver Brexit. It happened as a slow program, uh, process. Um, things would happen every day, and I thought, I have to document it. So the book is effectively a diary um, between the announcement of the Chequers deal, which is the Prime Minister's deal that she announced at her Chequers estate. It's the Prime Minister's private estate. Um, it's known as Chequers. That was her deal with the European Union, her withdrawal agreement, um, and it's a diary of from the announcement to the meaningful vote. And the meaningful vote was a vote in Parliament where they decided not to accept the withdrawal agreement, which ultimately meant that Brexit wasn't delivered on the 29th of March of this year, like it was meant to, and instead has been delayed to October 31st. Hmm. Um, so it, it, it is a comprehensive diary of the madness that took place between those two times. Wow. And what's so crazy to me, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I know, um, like I've, I I lived overseas in Europe, I think we had talked about that, and I have some, so I, I saw a lot of peripheral, like, friends that I'm still in contact with, like on Facebook, a couple, uh, I have a couple British friends that were all, uh, that all voted leave, but uh, the craziest thing is, uh, it was a referendum, so it was a vote by the people, the people were the ones that actually said, like i mean this is this is like tyranny at its most uh like the best example because the people literally voted we want to leave and you guys are the representatives that actually do what the people want and then yeah the government's saying no we're not going to listen to what the people want right is that correct that's exactly what's happening we were told the, uh, so technically uh, the referendum isn't binding um, okay. legally the government is not legally bound to do it, but it's 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 convention, um, and you can bet that if the government doesn't deliver it, then they're not going to be re-elected. Right. So it's in their interest to do it. However, we were also told by the prime minister at the time, David Cameron, um, this is your decision. We will implement what you decide. We were also told on a leaflet that was said, this is how corrupt how deep the corruption runs during that referendum. Um, there were rules on what both sides of the campaign, how much they could spend. But the government sent a leaflet to every home advising us to vote remain, the hmm. government. 
So it was effectively free propaganda for the Remain campaign. But anyway, on that leaflet that was sent to every single home in the UK from the government, it said, we, the government, will implement what you decide. So forgive me for thinking that if I voted leave, the government might implement what we decided. But they didn't. And they haven't. And it's been years. And we're still waiting. And the reason we've waited this long is because the government told us we need time to negotiate a deal. We need time to talk to the European Union about the best way can we can do this. Um, suddenly they came up with these ideas of hard and soft Brexit. Hard Brexit being leaving without a deal, which is what I personally voted for. Nobody ever mentioned a deal. I just want to leave. Right. Um, and then soft Brexit, which means leaving but staying in the customs union, which means we can't strike a free trade deal with America and Trump. Hmm. Um, and so we've, we've entered into this world, this sort of purgatory, um, mm. where the politicians are trying to decide which way to deliver Brexit. Mm. When, to be honest, at the time when we voted, we never even considered different ways of leaving. We just wanted to leave. That's what, what you just said about it being a purgatory is so perfect as a description from what you're saying. I mean, you're, when, when you look at this, so how much of this is... Okay, so like in America here, you know, we have what's what people are just now becoming aware of, but it's been around forever is nationalists and globalists. How much of the yeah. of the, uh, you know, anti-Brexit is globalism just being just clinging on to whatever they can hold on to? I'd, I'd say, uh, interestingly, it, it is the globalists, but weirdly, the nationalists, <clears throat> excuse me, the nationalists like Nigel Farage who's like, you know, the, the, the Brexit man, um, are kind of being more globalist in a way because the the Remain types, um, they want to be so insular. They they want this market, that, this customs union, this single market that we have in Europe, um, which works for some countries and doesn't work for others. Uh, in particular, it works for the smaller countries, like Poland is booming. It's a net beneficiary mm-hmm. of um, this um, sort of insular European system, but the bigger countries like uh, the UK, uh, it's a net loss for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're more interested in this single European market, whereas the Brexiteers have been saying, listen, why can't we trade with the rest of the world? So it's interesting that it, it, it kind of is the globalists that are pro-Remain, it's the Soros types, um, because they're more interested in, it, in, in the fact that it's a single European government. It's extremely authoritarian. Right. Um, parliamentarians can't introduce new law. They can only vote on it. The only people that can introduce new law are completely unelected. Um, we can't decide who they are. Right. Um, so, yeah, the globalists are interested in the EU, but not for economic globalist reasons. They're more interested in the fact that it's an authoritarian control. Whereas, interestingly, that as I say, old nationalists um, were interested in striking deals with whichever country we like. Right, what benefits us the best. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. Right now, a deal with the U.S. sounds dandy, but we're not allowed <laughs> to strike one because we're bound by the customs union and the single market regulations. On A good example of this is, for some reason in America, I've got no idea why, but you guys chlorinate chicken. I don't know why you do that. We don't do it, and it's banned here. But the only reason it's banned here is because the EU says it's banned which means we can't trade chicken, for instance, with the U.S. But say we wanted to trade chicken with the U.S., like, uh, we can't. So the idea is if we leave this single, uh, single market customs union, leave EU regulation, we'll decide our own laws, thank you very much, uh, and we'll trade with the U.S. whenever the hell we please. Right. I mean, that would be, that's what a sovereign independent nation should be able to do, right? 
like that. I mean, it kind of goes against everything that, I mean, what's the point of calling calling yourself Britain? I mean, at this point, they should well, just be able exactly, to... Exactly. We're not an independent nation. And uh, our parliament is not no longer sovereign. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's ultimately what the European parliament decides. And that's what's so terrifying about it. I don't think people realize there's three presidents, president of the European parliament, um, commission and council in the European Union. Not one of them is elected. Not one. Mm. They're all appointed. Who is that? An appointed? Is it appointed by the former, or is heads, it heads of state and bureaucrats? Yeah, yeah, that's what I figured. People <laughs> have no say whatsoever, and, um, and that's what's so terrifying about that whole project. Because we elect members of European Parliament, but I, I always just say that they're monkeys with rubber stamps. Mm-hmm. They, they can they can say no, and they can stamp it no. But the European Parliament will bring it back. And they will bring it back and make sure that you do vote for it. Um, Article 13 and online censorship being one of those mm-hmm. things. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was knocked back last year, but it came back a year later. And now Article 13 and online censorship has been passed. So, I, yeah, I've been noticing that. Uh, I've been seeing some of these crazy uh, YouTube videos and so forth of, uh, you know, I saw one recently. A guy was posting some stuff online and uh, the police came to his house. In, this is in the UK, yep. and they said, you know, you you need to watch yourself. We're watching what you what you post. And he goes, well, I haven't done anything illegal. And they, they said, but we're watching you. Literally, it was yep. a, a warning of what this guy. Mm-hmm. I I can't imagine living under that. Like what that must be like. Uh, it's terrifying. I know a chap who went to prison um, for. Um, I mean, what he did was, I w- I wouldn't do it myself, but it, it's hardly prison worthy. He. He sent an email to a Muslim organization um, with a joke job application saying that with with his more accurate knowledge of Islam, he could bring some uh, much needed integrity to this organization. <laughs> and so he, he applied for the job. He got sent to prison for harassment. Um, and this was a 60 something year old uh, man with a heart condition. Yeah. He's, like, what on earth is going on? He's just like, I, I trolling. I send that email. Yeah. Come on. Well, if that was the case, Rosie would have been in jail a long time ago. <laughs> He's the king troll. <laughs> uh. no, the, 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 um, the, the police are now um, advising us um, on Twitter um, yeah. to report non-crime hate incidents. So they will now register hate incidents, even if it's not a crime. They'll put you on a list, even if it's not a crime, because they'll watch you and make sure that if you, you, know, if you do step out of line, it is a crime. They'll grab you quickly. Hmm. That's um, unreal. That is just yeah. that's the that's the chief of globalism, though, in my opinion. I like, was going to say, just kind of on the topic, um, I just read that there is a guy in New Zealand. And I know this has nothing to do, but sort of very scary when I read it. He was a guy in New Zealand shared the the video. I think we all know what I'm talking about. The video of the the mosque shooting. Mm-hmm. He got sentenced 14 yeah. years. Just now, huh? Fourteen years for what just sharing shit? the video. Wow! Like this is—I mean, you can see all across the country, and I would say, you know, like New Zealand's in the same. They're part of the Five Eyes. They're, yeah, you know, our best allies with. It, 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 just, just to say this, so that people, I probably will keep saying this often. Five Eyes is a government. It, not, uh, it's like a intel sharing. Uh, agreement between United States, Canada, the UK, Australia, and New Zealand. And so we all share 
uh, Intel. We don't spy on each other. Yeah. We use, so any listener, that's what the five eyes is. <laughs> but it's just crazy to see, like, just sharing a video. The guy got 14 years. Just sending a fake troll, you know, job application. Some old dude, you know, some boomer at home is like, oh, I'm bored. I'm just going to mess with some Muslims and, you know, thought it would be funny. It's He's in crazy. jail. Well, you know, we have a similar issue here in the UK. Amber Rudd, who's our home secretary, um, they've been bringing in new leg- legislation now. Um, and if you view far-right material online... Um, no definition of what far right material entails, by the way. Right, you yeah. can face fifteen years in prison. Jeez, wow! That, that's what's happening in the UK right now. So, give um, it- and what worries me about this is there, there, there is an issue with the genuine far right. Um, but without this real definition, and by just allowing the government to decide what is and isn't far right, like what is going to be considered far right in the years to come, and who's going to end up in prison for viewing it? And it, it became very real when I had police around at my house um, for an issue with a, a, a stalker uh, with my missus. And they were telling me, uh, because the stalker was sending neo-Nazi material to us, hmm. um, and the, the police officer said to us, don't click it, don't click it. And we're like, well, uh, okay. And he says, listen, if you start clicking neo-Nazi material, they're going to be logging you and watching what you're, you're viewing online. And oh, it's like, God. yeah. It's weird hearing it from a police officer, but I knew that already, and I've got right. no doubt in my mind that they're already watching what I'm doing uh, currently, and I'm not even a bloody neo-Nazi. Right. Um, we, we call it Snoopers Charter, by the way. It was brought in by Theresa May, the current Prime Minister, when she was Home Secretary. She brought in legislation that we know as the Snoopers Charter, and it means that um, your IST keeps your browsing history for at least two months, and the government can access it whenever they please. <sighs> That's so scary. I mean... It- Big brother, man. Yeah. Uh, but I was going to say, you know, I was in China about a couple years ago and uh, I, f- I had managed to get online and I FaceTimed my family uh, one evening. Uh, the next day I tried to get online again to do it and it, it was already blocked. Like they found my, as soon as I logged on, they let me do like a 10 minute FaceTime with my family and then that was it. Uh, that's how scary this what? is. Yeah, but they don't allow FaceTime in China. No, so so <laughs> it's closed internet. You can't you can't just oh, it's a, right. Yeah, it's completely controlled, and so uh, you know, there's people that work have workarounds. Obviously, they have you know proxies and things like that that they set up, and the government, I'm sh- the American government, I'm sure, is probably involved with that at some <laughs> at some level. Google, you know? Google, Google, that was a huge thing that they just last year they said that they were gonna make a. I can't remember what it was like dragonfly or moonbeam or something like that. It was their project to work with the Chinese government to implement a version of Google that would be everything was okayed by the government. Oh, so, so like whatever you search would be already filtered by right. what they said. Yeah. yeah, of course it's thought it's thought police. Wow. Yeah. But I mean, right. this is, <laughs> I was just thinking like, what is the, the fourth amendment? You know what I mean? When you're talking about that in England, the fourth amendment, I mean, London has so many cameras. Now they're just viewing. Oh, yeah. It's it's just so scary. You can't go anywhere without being watched. Um, it's, uh, I mean, it, it, it doesn't bother me so much because I know I have nothing to hide. But at the same time, it's quite eerie. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Knowing that wherever you go, at any time, you are being watched. England is one of the most heavily watched nations on Earth. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it, it's quite bizarre. And um, I suppose, though, with London, if there is a place that you need CCTV, it's probably the city where you're going to get stabbed. So, I mean, fair (laughs) dude. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. So uh, let me ask you a question. Um, you you mentioned extreme right. What yeah. right now? I mean, there is a rise of extreme right. Uh, I think even in the United States, that we always you know if you are pro life and pro you know uh, heterosexual marriage or uh, just traditional in any, you're considered extreme right. Like they might even yeah. they might even label you as like an extreme right you know person. What is it like over there for that? Yeah, it's it's a big problem. Um, so I I think here's a, right. There's a, there's an issue I think with people on the right who are too willing um, to to deny the existence of the far right. Okay. So and the reason I say that is the use of the term far right is it, it's misused so much mm-hmm. by far left ideologues, by the press, and by British politicians. They claim everybody is far right. I'm far right. An old lady who's concerned about Muslim grooming gangs is far right. It's mm-hmm. ludicrous. So now when you actually say the words far right, people go, oh, this doesn't exist, doesn't exist. And that's really dangerous. I don't, I don't know if the left and the politicians and the press realize what they're doing, but when they constantly refer to everybody as far right, it means that nobody is far right. Exactly. So that means that the you know people are denying the existence of legitimate neo-Nazis, legitimate anti-Semites, and people who legitimately um, hold real hatred in their hearts for anyone uh, who isn't their, you know, their own race. Um, and I will admit those people are not great in numbers, but they are growing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that scares me because I have personal experience in this. Um, I, when I was a teenager, I was in a party, a political party called the British National Party, the BNP. And it's a white nationalist party. And I was 16, 15, 16 at the time when I joined. Um, a million people in Britain voted for this party. Uh, it has a history of neo-Nazism. Um, but people held their nose, me included, and voted for them and supported them because there was nothing else. Nobody in the UK was standing up for the white working class. Not a single party, not a single politician was standing up for us. And we were kind of forced to it. And it only took a, it took a few years, and I, I eventually left. I mean, I'm not a neo-Nazi, I'm not an anti-Semite or a white nationalist, um, and I found I found it quite uncomfortable. I was getting um, anti, I was being attacked for being Jewish. I'm not Jewish, um, <laughs> but I was being attacked regularly. Um, I was getting death threats by neo-Nazis when I was at university. I was meeting with the police regularly. I was on the stab on site list of a local neo-Nazi organization. Um, so I've seen this from the inside. And what worries me is I've also seen how easy it is for young white men who are angry about mass immigration, angry about being neglected and ignored by the politicians, and then angry about the fact that they're smeared as far right, that they get pushed into the real far right. Mm -hmm. They get pushed into these organizations that are genuinely hateful. I was one of them. And I'm seeing it happen in America and the UK now, and it worries me greatly. Oh, there's no doubt that it's there's a rise in it. And I think what you said is exactly the way many uh, feel, is that uh, the enemy has now, like in America here, the enemy has become middle class, white, um, you know, yep. Christian. Cisgender. <laughs> yeah. Like what would be considered just pretty normal, uh, you know, just five years ago. Well, standard, con- like standard conservatism, American conservatism right. in the, eight, you know, Reagan. Yeah, you know, something that's like right. That. And and everything that our country was built on, in essence, you know, I mean, th- those were the innovators, the ones that invested, that that tried, and that built the country. And uh, now we're the enemies in that sense. And so I see a rise in a place where people don't feel like they have a home. 
and and all of a sudden yep. there's this like this underpinning angst and they oh this person feels the same way I do they just seem to voice it a little bit different but man we we're on the same page and then next thing you know they're they're neck deep into some real hate yeah I was... yeah I mean it, it it's so easy for it to happen and I I say um, I consider this to be a, a three pronged attack I think first you're ignored by the politicians then you're smeared by the media who call you racist, and then you're attacked by the far left who want to get you uh, fired from your work, want to destroy your life. And when you're left in this situation where you can't, you can't turn to anybody, you're being labeled something you're not, you have your life ruined and the politicians and press won't even listen to you, that you end up looking for answers. And when you're a vulnerable young man, a particularly vulnerable young straight white man, um, you're going to look for answers and you're probably going to find the conspiracy theories that blame the Jews. Um, that seems to be the most common answer that these guys find. Because that's, for whatever reason, the natural um, sort of blame and excuse that's existed for <laughs> hundreds of years. Um, so it's, uh, it, it's a very dangerous situation. And it's interesting that it's happened so quickly in the U.S. because it's, it's, it's been a slow process in the U.K., whereas I've seen this happen in America in the last, as you say, five years or so. Yeah, I think they used Trump as really as a catalyst. They're blaming him, saying, oh, he's a, he's a white nationalist and he's a sympathizer. You know, they, they cite the whole Charlottesville. I mean, we just heard Biden this week. He was talking about Charlottesville. And he lied. I know. He lied. <laughs> they all lie, man. We know that. <laughs> it's Maybe. so true. Yeah, but I couldn't get over that. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just, I just, can't, I couldn't get over that. He, he just looked at the cameras and lied. <laughs> and it, it's so blatant. I mean, part of me just wishes that he, he wins the primary so that Trump can take him down on that one because right. it's so blatant. Yeah. Oh, he's part of the swamp. Yeah, for sure. We, we know that, but. But uh, that, you're, man, what you said really crystallized it for me. Like when the when the politicians ignore you, and, and that three prong approach that you're talking about. When the politicians ignore you, and then the um, what was the second one? It was the uh, the, me the media yes, smears you. The media smears you. Yeah, I mean, to me, that is exactly where we're at right now. Like, mm -hmm. um, yep. they're they're just it is we are we are mirroring, uh, you know, the UK. We're just a couple years behind. It feels like. Yeah, I think so. I mean, people say the UK is kind of like a canary in the coal mine um, for this issue, and it, it, it is true. We're, the, we're a canary in the coal mine, uh, coal mine for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, a, what I would say on Twitter is religious extremism, but as I'm not on Twitter, I'll, I'll, I'll say Islamic extremism um, <laughs> is something you guys should be very concerned about because we're seeing um, the dangers of that here in the UK and Europe, and that's going to come to you guys. And I don't think even Trump is top enough on it. Yeah. Um, and also in the fact that the way the politicians are uh, totally ignoring the people, totally willing to lie. Um, but, you know, I, I do have hope that um, you guys will stick this one out. I mean, Brexit was a great victory for us in 2016. Your vote for Trump was a great victory for you as well. But yeah. what we're seeing in the UK is that victory is um, kind of, squashed the politicians aren't delivering it what's um, what's the answer what's the answer to get to have brexit go through where it's complete sovereignty for uk well what's happening now is um the european elections are happening next month um we should never have been taking part in these european elections because we were meant to have left by now right 
So what what this what this has meant is um, we're heading towards European elections, and the ruling party, the Conservative Party, which is not conservative by the way, I don't I don't know if you know that, but it's it's not. <laughs> um, it's it's kind of like a wet sort of liberal Democrat sort of party. Mm-hmm. Um, what's happening is that. Conservative Party is down to 10% in the polls. 10% is the lowest it's been for hundreds of years. The Conservative Party is the oldest political party in the world. Hmm. Um, and it's hundreds of years since they've been this low in the polls. Hmm. So they're 10% in the polls. And this brand new Brexit party started by Nigel Farage because he left UKIP. The brand new Brexit party that was started months ago is leading in the polls at 28%. The Labour Party, which is run by a, a communist Marxist socialist, Jeremy Corbyn, mm. a terrorist sympathizer, I might add as well. Anti-Semite. He's at 26%. Say again? Oh, I just said huge anti-Semite. Oh, a massive anti-Semite, absolutely. Um, he's second in the polls. Mm. Um, the Tories, uh, I, I don't know. But what's most astonishing about it is the fact that this Brexit party is topping the polls for the European elections. And what that might mean is if that scares the living daylights out of the government, then it might be enough for them to force something through. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, what's happening right now, at the meaningful vote, when they decide, when Parliament decided whether this withdrawal agreement was going to pass, um, Parliament could not decide. There, there were three meaningful votes, and it was rejected all three times by different margins. And so what the government is having to do, because Theresa May doesn't have a big majority in Parliament, is she's having to work with the Labour Party to come to an agreement on a new deal about leaving the European Union. And this new deal, um, uh, by working with the Labour Party, will mean staying in the customs union, staying in the single market, which means not leaving the EU. The Um, the soft Brexit. The soft Brexit, yeah. Um, And so what, what that means is, they might well push through a soft Brexit so that we technically leave and there are no European elections, but that ain't going to solve the problem forever mm-hmm. um, because the British people are going to know that they've been lied to. And what will be very interesting is this Brexit party. Um, I don't like single issue politics, so I'm no fan of this party. Mm-hmm. However, this party will grow and potentially seriously impact the Conservative government in the next election if they don't deliver. And I'll be honest with you guys, I don't think they're going to deliver because the only way that we get the Brexit we voted for is if we leave without a deal and nobody wants to leave without a deal because they've been telling us for years that leaving without a deal and leaving on World Trade Organization rules will result in chaos in the UK. Um, They told us we'd run out of sandwiches. They told us that we'd run out of insulin and that diabetic people would die. They told us that people who need cancer treatment will die. They told so many lies about no deal and about which is effectively just Brexit. Uh, that I just don't think it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Man, is is do you feel like America is for, it, obviously we're pro pro Brexit um, right now with our with our cabinet that's in office? But do you yeah. do you feel like America would step up? I mean, if I, I just can't imagine that the UK all of a sudden you guys hit a hard break off and all of a sudden insulin's not available, that the US would not step in and help you. It just that well, would... well, here's the thing. The U.S. would step in. I, I, I don't doubt that for a second, but here's the thing. Um, that claim about insurance was made by, if I remember rightly, it's in my book, um, the head of output for ITV, ITV and Channel 4, which are two TV stations. <laughs> he cl- made that claim either lying or being uh, completely ignorant or just unwilling to even do a cursory Google search. There are two insurance produ- uh, 
production facilities in the UK. Two, people will not run out of insulin. And also, what country is going to stop selling insulin to the UK because we've left the European Union? Right, exactly. right. Yeah. What country? Right. And if, by the way, if the European Union countries were that bitter that they would stop trading um, on a quick manner insulin to the UK, then, boy, they don't sound like the kind of country I want to be in a union with in the first place. No, exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, don't they realize it goes both ways? I'm sure that the UK provides some pretty good things for them as well. Exactly. The European Union is hugely dependent on the UK. The UK is a service economy. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't make much anymore, which is sad. Um, but there's opportunities post-Brexit with a, a clean Brexit, a hard Brexit. There are opportunities for us to start manufacturing again because we can reduce tariffs, we can import materials on a cheaper basis, and we can start manufacturing again. But um, yeah, yeah there's, there's so many options for the UK if we leave the European Union. Um, and the European Union does depend on us. The, the, the claims, um, we, we call it um, project fear. It's something that they've been doing for years now. They, they tell us all these terrifying things will happen and they never do happen. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to just step back for a second and could you explain, um, so we kind of went over, you know, the cursory ideas of what Brexit is, but um, could you talk about like what the... M- white working middle class or it doesn't have to be white but you know like this demographic that keeps getting avoided that probably largely voted for brexit yeah what were the issues that they cared about enough to want like why do why do these people that are being ignored why do they vote for it in the first place because there's a lot of propaganda about oh it's this or it's that or it's this they hate these people blah 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 blah. like what do you uh why why did people vote for it a lot of it was immigration, uh, which is interesting, actually, because the, the UK still imports um, over half a million people mm-hmm. to the UK every year, uh, which is just completely unsustainable. We're a tiny <laughs> island. Right. We're tiny. <laughs> like, you, you guys know how small we are compared to, like, we, we don't even fill the state of New York, for crying out loud. <laughs> right, like, we're yeah. tiny. And we import, like, hundreds of thousands of people every single year. Um, and people are tired of it. And... But here's the thing. People voted to leave the European Union, um, particularly the working classes, because they're the ones impacted by mass immigration, particularly low-skilled mass mm-hmm. immigration. Because it, it, people mock us for saying, oh, the immigrants are taking our jobs. But that's literally what's happening. And it's really hurting working class communities. So people voted Brexit partially on those terms. But what's interesting is most immigration actually comes from outside of the EU in mm-hmm. the UK. Uh, a lot of it's third world immigration from Pakistan and um, Africa. And it, so it, the EU is not even involved, but people have just had enough and nobody ever listens to us. Um, the politicians certainly don't listen when we tell them that we, you know, we want a reduction in immigration. They didn't even listen when a million Brits voted for the BNP in 2009, mm-hmm. which, which their policy at the time was to deport anyone, um, uh, not forcefully, but through encouragement, who wasn't white. So a million people voted for this party saying, please just listen to us. And the politicians just could double down and said, no, you're all evil. It's like, for crying out loud, like, take a hint. People are concerned about immigration and they did nothing. So people voted Brexit and now they're trying to screw that up as well. <laughs> so it's, it's worrying. I mean, I, came from, I come from a town in northwest um, England in Lancashire and we had a lot of Polish immigrants in the UK and I work for Poland daily mm-hmm. uh, a, a, a Polish 
news uh, news channel. I was going to say, I'm Pol- the- Polish ancestry. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah, we've chatted about this. The yeah, Poles, yeah. Are, they work so hard. Um, but equally, when there's too many um, immigrants from any country, even Poland, it's a problem. And what I saw in my hometown is lots of amazing Polish people. I knew loads of Poles growing up. Um, but working-class English lads were struggling for work. And Polish lads were being employed through European laws, through Polish employment agencies, and being paid less than minimum wage, which Brits can't compete with because that's illegal. Um, And it it creates a real resentment. And what the politicians don't seem to realize is, for as long as they continue importing people and then telling everyone who's concerned about it that they're racist, um, what they're actually doing is creating even greater resentment Mm -hmm. for people who are British and for immigrants. And so it's been hugely dangerous, and I think that's one of the driving factors behind Brexit. Right, yeah. Man. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're both just taking it in right now. Like, I'm looking, I'm, everything, yeah. you're, it, what's, you're, you're like a prophet, man. I don't know if, you, if you're a Bible guy or not, but you're like a modern-day prophet. I've never been called a prophet before. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could, what you're saying, though, like, you're, you're broadcasting the very things that I'm seeing that are beginning to emerge in the American headlines in the news. And the, right. the very things that we're starting to see resistance in, you guys have been fighting for and and fail, and it's not been really helping at all because it seems that every time there seems to be a small victory, there's a setback. You know, it's it's not a true Brexit; it's a soft Brexit. And if that, right. if even we get a Brexit, it'll be you know we'll be lucky. And I'm yeah. just nervous about hearing these things and seeing the writing on the wall here back in the States. What's going to happen? I mean, for me, I, I mean, look, the UK is a powerhouse. We we need, you know, the United States as an ally, you know, as the UK is an ally for us, we need you guys to be strong and your economy to be yeah. booming and for you to have real good unity in your in your nation. Um, that's good yeah. for, for the world, you know? Uh, it just yeah, absolutely. blows my mind why people see this and they don't see the common sense in it. I just, it, it just confuses me. <laughs> I don't understand the lack of pride in this country. You know, we, we, mm-hmm. we had this great empire not too long ago. We, we still have our monarch, which I know you guys are not a fan of, but you know, that's <laughs> hugely important to us. And, you know, we still have this common, the Commonwealth, um, I don't know if you know the Commonwealth. It's basically the rem- the remnants of our empire. Mm-hmm. The Commonwealth just turned 70, um, and it's got, I think, 2.9 billion people of the world mm-hmm. are in our Commonwealth. We've got all these amazing things to be proud of. We are, we've got these um, you know, huge reaching sort of power across the world, and we're still looked to as the mother of democracy, the mother of civilization, Western civilization, and it's just collapsing around us. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I find myself thinking I need to go to Eastern Europe at this point because th- th- it's gone insane. There's, there's a total lack of pride in the UK um, and to, to the point where there's, there's people on the street wearing European Union flags, screaming stop Brexit at the top of their lungs outside of Parliament. And I think what is wrong with you? You're, mm. you're begging for dictatorship. You're, you're wishing to be controlled. Yeah. And, all the while, working class communities, which are the, the the foundation of our very society, are being destroyed economically and destroyed socially to the point where we have grooming gangs roaming the streets and nobody seems to care. Mm-hmm. Mass immigration, which is transforming um, uh, society uh, on a very basic level. 
Um, the economy is being hit hard. People are losing jobs. And all the while, people are egging it on, welcoming in more immigration and telling anyone who dares talk about it that they're, they're racist or extremist. And it's, I, I don't see it ending well. And I think that's so tragic. And what Americans need to learn from this is if you become complacent, it will happen to you as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. there. I was going to say, it's this weird phenomenon when you're talking about like lack of pride in uh, like your country. I don't know. It's weird. I know America gets just crapped on everywhere because the, the people that are like proud to be Americans are always stereotyped as these really stupid yeah. Like, Red, you know, like, hey, you know, like America, we're the best, you know, hey, yeah. um, lots of handguns. Yeah. But and, I was uh, going to say, it's, it's weird that like, if you talk to, uh, it's just this weird, uh, made me think of this, like even just me having to say, oh yeah, like I'm from, I'm of Polish ancestry or, you know, like all this stuff that people keep, I, it, it's so weird that people are so scared to be proud of being from the country that they're from, that they have to say like, Instead of just saying, oh, I'm an American, it's like, you know, someone yeah. says, what are you? Instead of just saying, I'm an American, everyone wants to know, oh, well, are you, like, what's your breakdown? Are you, like, <laughs> right. mostly Irish American? It's like, like, why can't you just be proud to be American? Why can't you just be proud to be, you know, British or, you know, <laughs> right. Welsh or, you know, something, you know, just proud to be just where you're from? Straight out of Compton, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what's interesting in the UK is... um Take uh, I don't know, a Pakistani immigrant, for instance. They always call themselves Pakistani British, mm-hmm. and they, you know, they they consider their Pakistani heritage so important. And fair dues to them, fair dues. They consider the Pakistani heritage really important. They make it a real core part of who they are. They make a big stink about it publicly. They um, self segregate. Um, this is multiculturalism for you. They self segregate. Right. Uh, they don't integrate. They want Britain to change with them. Then when I dare try and stand up for my identity as a British person, oh, you'd be on the pale. Right. Yeah, that that blows me away. Uh and just that that's that we see that happening here. And how dare you stand up for your heritage which you right. you, you happen to be born there and who knows, you might have four, five, six generations, right? Uh before you. You know, I was we had just had this uh barbecue at my house yesterday and I have an uncle uh who's Peruvian, like from Peru, moved here I don't know. Uh, he's he's like almost 70. He's old. Um, maybe, I don't know, 30, 40 years ago, he became a citizen. It took him like, I don't know, 15, 17 years and stuff like that. And he yeah. will just lambast all these illegals. And like, he just can't stand it. You know, he's super successful, opened yeah. some chicken restaurants and, you know, uh, <laughs> his family. But they're like, they, they, he's like, you know, he's american and he's he still watches <laughs> like he watches soccer he watches soccer and uh he still speaks a lot of spanish but like he's so I think, proud I think to be it's american. called football not soccer yeah whatever <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but it's well, you just know, I, find, I, I love hearing those stories and you know i equally love you know there was a time when immigrants to the uk were so proud to be coming to the UK. They were so proud to be part of the UK. In fact, a lot, I find a lot of Indian immigrants are still very much like this. The Indians do love the UK. Yeah. Uh, after, after all, during the empire, we, we built up India. They, they still really like us. Um, but there was a time when everyone coming to the UK was proud to be the UK. Do I remember one thing that I was trying to 
show to my missus how this works. We were watching that film about um, Freddie Mercury, you know, that Queen movie that came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and the scene at the beginning were, because he was an immigrant to the UK with his family, yeah. uh, or at least his family were immigrants to the UK. And there's this scene at the beginning where he's in this house, this typically sort of Asian house, and there's a picture of the Queen on the wall. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, right, that, that's it, Martino. Look, that's what it used to be like. Hmm. That's what it was like. But what we've seen now is every new generation of particularly uh, Muslim immigrants have become more radical. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see that in polls every, every every few years. They do polls about Muslim public opinion on, um, you know, you know whether they believe in stoning people to death and all this stuff. What we've found is people have become more radical as time goes by. And the people that we're importing today aren't even encouraged to embrace any kind of British identity um, at all. So, so we, we end up with these segregated communities. And, you know, we're so often told these days um, there's no such thing as British culture. <laughs> Yeah, you know, that, that's something. I, so I wanted to ask you this question, too. I don't know if you have any insight on this or not, but I, I heard a report um, here back in the States that um, the public school system here in the States was designed largely with the immigrant in mind. And the whole purpose mm-hmm. was to equip them to understand our heritage, our history, and to assimilate with our language and then have some rudimentary skills with math and science um, thrown in there. And so that was like the like inception of of government subsidized public school. And um, when you were talking about uh, over there, how the opinion you have people walking outside of Parliament with the U, the EU flag screaming no Brexit, is there indoctrination happening in the school system from a young age that's like laying like a seedbed for that kind of stuff? Oh yeah, the the National Union of Teachers is a nightmare for it. It's um, we we have these. Basically, if you're a teacher in the UK, you can bet that you're far left. Um, so there was a, a motion put forward by the Conservative government, by the education minister, that they would start teaching British values and British history in schools. Um, well, I mean, more British history, but particularly they were focused on British values. Mm-hmm. And the National Union of Teachers voted it down as if they have some control of the government somehow. Right. I don't know who they think they are. But they voted it down and said, no, we'll teach international values instead. What are international values? <laughs> right. They don't exist. <laughs> Not everyone agrees. There are British values. And if we're going to be living in this global UK um, with these global cities, then maybe we should be teaching British values because isn't it right for people to assimilate? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, why did they come here or come there, well, right? Honestly, we, 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 call, um, we call the UK Treasure Island. <laughs> because people um, come here for the benefits system. <laughs> That's right. genuinely it. Um, yeah. Because, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of different, as, even as conservatives in the UK. I'm, I'm a conservative, but um, I would disagree with you guys on the healthcare system. Um, I'm totally for um, social healthcare, mm. and we're very proud of the National Health Service here in the UK. Um, but the problem with the NHS is, um, and it did used to work extremely well, but it stopped working because you can't have a social healthcare system and open borders. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now we have a social healthcare system and open borders, and it ain't working. Mm-hmm. I, I came down. I don't know how we got into this, by the way, but sorry. No, um, it's good. I, I, at Christmas, I came down with a mystery illness. I was limping. I was swelling. I had rashes all over my It was bizarre. And I went to the doctors. They couldn't figure it out. They said, we'll put you in with a specialist. This was in early January. They said, we'll put you in with a specialist. And you know where my appointment was? 
two weeks ago. <laughs> all my symptoms are gone by then. I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to go. It's right. pointless. Like, the whole system is screwed up. And I was going to say, it's one of those things that it, it's so ridiculous. And it's just like a typical example, I would assume, because I read tons of stuff for, you know, Canada, you know, Canada's spouted as this, they're just terrible off. But I was going to say, to go back to the thing that when we put things in very practical terms, like, why does this work in the UK? Oh, because you have, I'm not sure, what is it, like 10 million people or, or the, the system is designed I think, for... 60, I think it's 65 million technically about about we're about 70 million people now oh wow yeah. okay well <laughs> i'm totally ignorant of that yeah we're very but, very densely populated right but that's like uh la <laughs> right 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 so to think <laughs> yeah it could work on like a, a a small scale where again everyone's paying taxes everyone's paying into it they're doing yep. you know it makes sense on a very small scale because you guys are so like the country's so small there's yep. not that many people it's not going to work yeah with hundreds of yeah and especially, like you said, all these people. That, that's why people come here, mate. Um, you know, people come here because they know it's, um, we call it soft touch Britain. And I'm simplifying it. There's a, there's yeah, a lot yeah. of other reasons. But, um, I mean, the economy is doing pretty well. Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of jobs available. And it's especially easy when um, you can work illegally or you can just work for less. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, um, and, and if I'm honest, the UK is amazing. Who wouldn't want to live here? So I yeah. mean, it's 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 tough. Um, but it, what what we're seeing is it's 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 causing too many problems. Yeah. And the strain on the NHS is just one of the most obvious ones. And the government is so I don't know whether they're delusional or whether they don't see the problem or something. But instead of looking at the housing crisis, which we have because there's just not enough houses, instead of looking at the the crumbling NHS. Um, Instead of looking at that and thinking, hmm, maybe we better reduce demand, they think, let's increase supply. Right. So now they're pumping money into the NHS that we don't have. Every year, they pump more money than the previous year. Every single year, they, they got, no government will ever allow the funding for the NHS in one year to be less than the year previous. So it's completely unsustainable. <laughs> and they're building more and more houses across Greenland in the UK um, to the point where it's you know, we're losing countryside. People aren't happy about it. We're losing resources. Infrastructure can't keep up. The trains are packed. I mean, I just don't understand why the government can't look at this and think maybe we'd better start reducing like the demand in the first place, which is this influx of six hundred thousand plus people every year. Yeah, it's that the, the, the Keynesian economics that just never works. Yeah, it's just not. <laughs> it's not sustainable. Like uh, you just uh, maybe for a, a while, but you can't. You can't continue on in that in that pattern. It just won't. It doesn't. It eats up more than well, it contributes. This started in 1997 with Tony Blair. The late he was he he was the Labour Prime Minister yeah. who turned the Labour Party from a socialist party to a sort of pseudo capitalist party. Mm -hmm. um, Labour's of course socialist again under Jeremy Corbyn. Mm -hmm. But in 1997, when Blair came to power, that's when the floodgates opened. That's when mass immigration started. So that's 1997. It's only taken 22 years, 20 years, and yep. the whole system collapsing. Yep, yep. America, wake up, Donald Trump. If you're listening, build that wall. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, you, you guys. I mean, it's a slightly different situation because you're so much big, bigger. But the, the same rules still apply. You know, if you're going to have immigration, have skilled people who are going to do work that um, trained um, citizens can't do. 
if a if a if a if a fully qualified citizen can do it, then you don't need an immigrant to do it. Um, and for the love of God, stop importing people who are low skill, who are um, illegals. You know, what, why are we even talking about the possibility of a, a path to citizenship for people that came into the country illegally? It it doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was going to say, oh, getting some feedback. Hang on one sec. Hey, can you hear me, Jack? Yeah, I can hear you. Huh, that's, can you hear the echo back? No, I can't hear an echo. Uh, huh. Maybe it's on our end. We're just getting some weird feedback, but that's cool. Huh. Uh, yeah, we'll just cut this out. Uh, what was I going to say? <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah, but I was going to say the... Uh, Sorry, I, keep, I keep diverting you into... No, no, it's, it's great. It's great. It's great. Um, I was gonna say, like the the thing that just scares me the most. I just saw this um, article in the UK uh, from the UK from some uh, I don't know British <laughs> newspaper. I can't remember which one it was. <laughs> and they're talking about uh, the this woman had in, invented makeup that is acid resistant. Oh. And that was the lead post, I think. Yeah. Um, I saw that. Makeup that's resistant to acid. Yep. Yeah. And that's, I guess, one of these things. I don't know if we've really touched on it that much, but if you could really just solidify, you know, and I don't want to get into this as anti Muslim people, but just this ideology that we keep, that you guys just keep importing, like what you're talking about, these roving, uh, these rape gangs and grooming gangs and all this stuff i mean tommy tommy robinson was just prison for you know reporting on it i think i hope that a lot of people that listen to this know about that but it's just insane when they have again this rule of law they're they're importing sharia law and like you said about the um the no-go zones the no-go zones but in the the polls that you would reference where they're interviewing these people that are you know second generation third generation that don't have this identity that are becoming self you know either i don't know if all of it is self-radicalized or you know it's these imams that are there but like all these poll numbers that i keep seeing out of the uk in particular sweden germany all these countries that have mass immigration of these low-skilled um you know north africa middle eastern countries that come here and just yeah, I was going to say the polls, they keep showing more and more support for Sharia law, for stoning people to death, for, you know, killing homosexuals, you know, for all this stuff that they're importing to the West. It's just absolutely when, like I when I saw that headline about <laughs> um, when I saw the headline about at makeup that is acid resistant, yeah. I'm like, this is this is can, can nobody with a sober right. mind right. read this this is not a racist statement but this is bad women shouldn't have to wear protective makeup right. to help right. alleviate the condition that's a very if there's a market a threat yes yeah. it's a very real threat that they're going to get acid thrown in their face like it's a very serious problem in london and what's scary about it is it started it was a very much a bangladeshi thing um it happens a lot in Bangladesh, mm-hmm. uh, but now London is quickly becoming the hotspot for acid attacks more so than Bangladesh. Bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm deeply, deeply sad and troubling. Um, but what sort of happened is gang members started picking up on it. So black lads were 
throwing uh, acid at each other, and now white lads are doing it to each other. It hmm. started with the Bangladeshi. Um, but you know what? You know what's crazy about that? Um, I forget the term, but um, the, it used to be throwing acid at each other was something people did in the Victorian times in the UK. Um, there's a word for it. I forget. Let me just quickly see if I can see this. Victorian acid attack. And the politicians um, on the media um, started trying to claim that, um, here we go, I've got an article here, um, at the Telegraph, December 2018. It's why we can blame the Victorians for today's acid attacks, right? <laughs> this was something that happened in the Victorian times when acid first became a thing. Vitriolage, that was it, what it was called. It was called vitriolage. And it happened. And then it stopped happening because we stopped doing crazy stuff. Right. <laughs> and then suddenly it starts happening again in Bangladeshi communities. And the Telegraph here is writing that we can blame it on the Victorians. I'm sorry, it's not Victorians that are making people throw acid at one another in 2018 and 2019. It, frankly, it came from the Bangladeshi community. And now everyone's doing it. And it's really troubling. Now, now the big thing is knives. People have seemed to have moved on from mm -hmm. acid. But in terms of what British Muslims think, there's a really interesting story on this one. So there's a guy called Trevor Phillips and he was the Equalities Chief. He was the head of the Equality and Human Rights Commission um, or uh, the Council or uh, the Equalities Commission for the UK government anyway. And he, after years and years and years of attacking people like me, calling us anti-Muslim bigots and racists and extremists and all this, he did a documentary on Channel 4 um, as part of an ICM research poll um, called What British Muslims Really Think. Mm -hmm. He had to admit that he was wrong. He never apologized to any of us for, admitting, uh, for, for smearing and slandering us for all those years. But here are just some of the numbers I just found from that documentary. 23% uh, of British Muslims said Islamic Sharia law should replace British law. 52% mm. um, of the Muslims said that they believe homosexuality should be illegal. Um, nearly half believe it's unacceptable for gay or lesbian to teach children. Not that's by the way, that's not teaching them about what? lesbianism or LGBT. It's just being a gay teacher. Right. They don't like that. Almost a third of British Muslims think polygamy should be legalized. Um, Thirty-five percent of those eighteen to twenty-four think it's acceptable to have more than one wife. Thirty-nine percent of British Muslims believe women should always obey their husbands. Uh, one in three British Muslims refused to completely condemn the stoning of, stoning of women accused of adultery. Wow. Um, a fifth of British Muslims have not entered the home of a non-Muslim in the past year. 35% believe Jewish people have too much power in the UK. Hmm. Interesting, that one, isn't it? Wow. At the same time, we're seeing a huge rise in anti-Semitism in the UK, and people aren't connecting the dots. But what we have is this real extreme extreme presence in the UK within the British Muslim community um, and we're told to ignore it because the vast majority of Muslims are peaceful people. Well, I'm sorry to say, I don't like to you know, think badly of anyone, I really don't, mm -hmm. but I'm sorry to say that it's not the vast majority who are good. There are many, many good British Muslims, but there are many, many who are equally so very, very dangerous and with very, very nasty views. And those views are getting worse. You know, it wasn't like this a couple of decades ago. It mm -hmm. was nowhere near as extreme. Yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, so much of it is the media, like, <laughs> I, I was going to say, it's kind of like the, if you apply the thing, the, the three-pronged attack on, that you had mentioned earlier that you talked about, you know, what's radicalizing uh, 
otherwise normal, you know, conservative males or, you know, right leaning, um, when they keep, I don't, let me, I'm trying to think of how I was saying is that when they keep hearing that there's all these, uh, white people that hate them, they're going to become more radicalized. Like it's the media is pitting everyone against each other. Oh yeah. And again, such a dense, you know, city like London or something that there's there's so many people in such a small area and they're so diverse and it's just, you know, it's, they're turning it into a war zone. It feels like. Hey Jack, let me ask you a story. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, let me ask you a question. What, what do you say to someone when? Because I heard a news report. I don't know when it was. It 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 was from the UK, and it was sort of this live um, like news program, and um, and it sort of had people from the left and from the right, or from the conservative and liberals, and uh, and there, then they had audience questions. And this one lady, I don't I don't believe she was even Islamic. She didn't look Islamic, but um, you know, as far as color goes, um, but <laughs> you know what I mean. But uh, she says. You all of this talk about terrorism, um, and it's always connected to Islam. Wh- why aren't you guys ever talking about the other terrorists? And I, it blew my mind because I'm like, other terrorists. Uh, you know, whenever I hear a, of a mass shooting or a bombing or a stabbing or acid attack, it, uh, automatically I think radical Islam, automatically. Yeah. And typically, ninety oh. percent of the time, it comes out as that. Why is why is it wrong to call something that when it's earned that reputation based on its history? Right, exactly. I mean, nobody's saying um, that there is no other terrorism. I mean, in the in the UK, we we have Irish terrorism again, mm-hmm. Irish Republican terrorism. We've had bombs yeah. recently from the IRA. Um, there are far right terrorists, which is something I'm going to be uh, talking more about soon. Mm-hmm. Um, the the far right terror threat is growing. However, it's small. It's a tiny fraction compared to the Islamist terror attacks that are being stopped all the time. Uh, one terror attack is being stopped a month uh, uh, around that. That's what the, uh, the British security services have told us. They're stopping about one terror attack per month. And that's just what um, they're telling you. I mean, that's just what they're just releasing. What they're us. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, yeah, it's not wrong to point this out. And if she's offended by that, then... I, I, re- I really am genuinely sorry about that. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that it, it must be hurtful for her. But at the same time, we have to deal in reality. And mm-hmm. there is a very real and present danger um, through, through terrorism, um, but through other cultural problems as well. I mean, I want to tell you these, the story, why, why I got involved in politics. Mm-hmm. Please. Um, and it was the stories uh, of a young girl called Charlene Downs in Blackpool. And Blackpool is a, uh, a seaside town in the north of England, not far from where I I was from. And she went missing in around 2001. She was um, a a young teenager, uh, about 12, uh, 13, 14, something like that. And she was kidnapped by a Muslim grooming gang um, uh, from Blackpool, and she was never, body was never found. And so there was a long court case. I I met her family, I met her mum, and the court case happened and there was two men who were ele- who allegedly did it, two Muslim men, and the police obtained recordings of them talking about how they raped her, hmm. how they killed her, and laughing about how they disposed of her body in the meat grinder in the kebab shop. Oh, um, man. And they have that on audio. And what happened in this case is so tragic because if that wasn't bad enough, that's symptomatic of what's happening across the UK. It happened in Rochdale and Rotherham and Oldham and 
all over the UK this is happening. Of course, I'm sure you know about the Rotherham 1400, 1400 young girls who were victims of Muslim grooming gangs, and it went on for over a decade. Mm-hmm. The police covered it up. That's not me saying it. That was a government report found that the police had covered it up and torn up reports of what was happening to these young girls. But anyway, so that's happening in the UK. But what really struck me about this case with Charlene Downs is during the court case, the transcription of them talking about how they disposed of her body, uh, it was said that it was transcribed incorrectly. And so the case was thrown out and these two men ended up with £250,000 in compensation and went about their lives. They, no justice was ever found this young girl her body has never been found her family has been torn apart by it and it's still happening in blackpool those men men are still out there but it went back to court and the person that transcribed it still stands by to this day that she did not transcribe it incorrectly um people know who did who, who killed her people know what happened to her body the media have reported on it wild, uh, widely as well but there was no justice and that's what got me involved in, in politics in the UK when I heard about that, because it's young white girls and young Sikh girls. So not just white girls, but yeah. Sikh girls, yeah. non-Muslims being targeted by predominantly Muslim gangs. Um, and we know that at least 85 percent of these people who operate as pedophile gang networks, at least 85 percent are Asian Muslim. Um, and that's according to an Asian think tank. Um, so it's not me being crazy. Um, mm-hmm. It's a very serious problem in the UK, and it's something that's not being addressed, and that's what got me involved in politics. And so I'm very deeply sad that that lady is concerned about her religion being smeared, or she's concerned about being, you know, tarred with the wrong brush. And that's very deeply sad. But at the same time, there's young girls out there who've been raped and murdered, and there's terrorism happening all the time. And honestly, I'm right now more concerned about that. Wow. Yeah. And I was going to say, just maybe this is a good tangent. I, I know you had written another book, the the first one, but it was all about the paradox of liberals or the left right. defending. Uh, I yeah, mean, a paradoxical alliance that was called. It was about the, uh, the, the love affair between the left and Islam. Yeah. I, I was going to say that like when I, when you, when you hear that story and you, why else, or, you know, the police tearing up reports, I, I Mm-hmm. I'm not going to speak for them, but it, my first thought goes to they they do that because they don't want to appear racist. They don't they want to. That's, it. that's literally what happened. That's the, it. Um, the, the the report that was commissioned um, following Rotherham, the government report. That's what they found. Uh, the local government were terrified of being called racist. Um, in fact, uh, Dennis McShane, who was the um, I think it was the police and crime commissioner or the MP at the time. I forget. It's so long ago. Dennis McShane <laughs> said that they didn't want to rock the multicultural boat. Exactly. <laughs> that, that was a, that was a representative of the Labour Party as well. Unbelievable. They don't want to rock the multicultural boat, but they'll they'll just let people literally be slaughtered. Yeah, because they know that if they come out against it, first off, if they admit there's a problem, then they have to solve it. And right. boy, do they not. To solve that problem because right. they don't want to be seen as racist. Um, but secondly, if they do try and solve the problem, then there will be riots because we've had riots within the Muslim communities before. It, it, it's they they start very very easily, um, and it's not because um, all Muslims are prone to rioting, but these extremists who are living in working class towns in the UK are prone to rioting. Yeah. So if you dare say anything, if you dare do anything, if you start trying to tackle it. 
you can bet there's going to be trouble on the streets. And they, I guess they just considered these girls collateral damage and hoped that nobody found out about it, but we did. Hmm. Man. That's just evil <sighs> to me. It's just yeah. evil straight it up. Is. Yep. It's no, evil. No other way to uh, play it, but yeah. So the answer is you have to get a bunch of stray dogs and loose them in the city and then start serving pork all around the city. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Not really. Kind of. Uh, <laughs> I can say that here. It's okay, right? I, yeah, I've I, I got to probably be careful. I, I, no, I, don't, I don't even talk about a lot of this stuff anymore. Like genuinely, ever since I wrote that book, I've kind of toned it down. And I start talking about Brexit more and more because um, – I know what can get me locked up uh, in the UK. Yeah, and I was gonna, I was, I was just gonna say as a joke, uh, as a thing. The the one thing that we always have to keep in mind over here is uh, we can protect ourselves. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and uh, you guys, unfortunately, cannot uh, in, uh, in no. the same way. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that Jack's gonna get this thing resolved to be able to move over here to the to the good old USA. Yeah, that would be awesome. And, well, uh, I'm hoping I can get to America before I'm locked up for a thought crime. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a thought crime. Exactly. <laughs> we know your dreams. We heard we we heard that you were dreaming of something bad. <laughs> Unbelievable, uh, man. Man, this has been incredible. I, I've really enjoyed just hearing. Yeah, absolutely. And you have educated me way more than you than you know, uh, which I'm thankful for because I like to be able to know what's going on a little bit more than what's you know outside of the United States. Uh, which is actually hard to do. <laughs> yeah, all we hear about is... Yeah, well, you know, thank you for having me. And it's it's always interesting to talk about these things with Americans because I, I, I wonder sometimes whether when I do these things, people on the other end think that I'm some crazy conspiracy theorist because I know it all sounds too crazy to be true. No way, man. You're... I was going to say, I'm definitely a conspiracy theorist outside of <laughs> like with like just far out conspiracies. So you never have to worry about... You can always... <laughs> throw throw anything by me and all. <laughs> well, that's what I was thinking. We're, the stuff we believe in, what he's talking about is just normal. Like it, I was like, yeah, of course that <laughs> it happens. The government, is, Don't, of course they're fooled. They're corrupt. They're alive. Of course, right. yeah. <laughs> just like, ask us about Nephilim. <laughs> then we'll talk about some crazy conspiracies. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Dude, well, Jack, this has been incredible. I'm telling well, you, man. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it very much. You, you are... Uh, in my eyes, just from talking to you on the phone here and, and what I've seen, you're you're a true patriot for your nation, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's something to be that should you should be proud of. And don't give up the fight, man. It's worth it. It's well, it's worth it, man. We we you know we got this one shot, and uh, there's a lot of stuff coming against it. But um, man, I believe in what you're doing, and I really appreciate you know your book. I'm gonna get your book and uh, check out your okay. other one. I hope you like it. Yeah, maybe I can get you to sign one for me and send it out or something. Yeah, for sure. Happy to. Okay. Yeah. It was great uh, finally talking with you, man. Uh, so I'm sure we'll still be in contact. But yeah, thanks so much, man. Thank you very much, guys. We will uh, we will catch you on Twitter. And for all of our listeners, it's jackbuckby at twitter.com. And so just look him up, follow him, and uh, go get his book. I'm sure he could use the money. It, it always helps. So uh Jack, thanks again, man. We will keep up with you, and we'll ch- we'll talk to you soon. Okay. And I've always wanted to say this. Cheers, mate. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, <Paris>. Cheers, mate. <laughs> Cheers to you, mate. We'll see you soon. Bye bye. All right. Well, Rosie, that was an amazing interview. It was great. I'm so glad that you introduced our listening audience to that guy, to Jack. 
He's a great man. He's a great man. Yeah. We've been talking for a while and uh, was like, hey, man, come on the podcast. And I tell you what. He was more than happy to. And it was awesome. He's a great dude. Yeah. The thing that kept, that as we were talking, the thing that kept sticking in my mind is that this guy is living in our future reality. Yeah. Like, I just can't get past the fact that our liberal politicians are trying to take us down this same road. And when we talk about globalists and we talk about nationalists, it is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Globalism is a real thing, and it's a fight to p- take away rights from people, make everyone, you know, believe the same things. But it, it's an impossibility. Yeah, I mean, it's just straight from Satan. It is. <laughs> so, yeah, and if you think about just God's gift of free will to mankind, you can't. It's impossible mm-hmm. because we're never going to all ideologically line up. Yeah, you know that's why there's got to be some freedom, and some you know opportunity to have different thoughts. Mm-hmm. But man, I'm just like hearing him, and I'm like, when I said he was a prophet, I meant like I really was thinking like this dude's shooting warning shots across the bow of the United States. Hey guys, it's coming. Yeah, we're we're experiencing it now. You guys gotta take note. Yeah, you should. We should. Anyways, yeah. so that was cool, man. I, I, and so to all our listeners, I'm, I hope you guys were educated. And Brexit is important to us. Mm-hmm. It matters. It matters for, to America what happens over there in the UK and what's going on with them. So these are things that are that we should be aware of and, and, be, and always have on our radar and, and be thinking about, praying about, trying to educate ourselves on so we can know the signs, mm-hmm. make, make the... Raise our voices before our voices are silenced. Yeah, that's well said. Thank you. That yeah. just popped out of my head. <laughs> it's right there. Anyways, well, so it's been a great episode. And uh, anything you want to add? No. All right. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> we will catch you next time <laughs> on All Out War. Thanks for listening. See ya. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the All Out War podcast today. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you want to know more, you can visit us on the web at alloutwar.us or you can find us on Twitter at alloutwarcast. Hey, thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Beep, beep.